a very, very minute percentage of people worldwide that come into the kingdom because of some great meeting like a, like a crusade or an evangelistic campaign or through a stranger or printed material or audio material. Uh, that happens. Yesterday someone was telling me that when they were in um, one of the islands in, in, central, um, in the Bahamas areas that they, a guy picked up a tape off the parking lot and it was a tape of John MacArthur. The guy's just walking through the parking lot, picked it up and, and listened to it and came to know Christ through that process. I mean, it does happen. The Lord uses those things. But the most common way that God chooses to use His message of good news about Christ to bring people to Himself is through friends and family members. In fact, if you did a study, a quick study through the New Testament, you would find that the term household is very, very prevalent as God uses those connections, those relationships to bring people to Himself. You're getting ready to go home. And you're, most of you are, are getting ready to, are already making plans about what you're going to do from this semester to next, or if you're finishing up, what you're going to do. Uh, but what all of us are going to do is we're going to have the opportunity to spend extra time with friends and family members. And what I really want to do with this chapel is to challenge you and myself, all of us, to start thinking and praying right now how God could maybe use us to swim if we're a swimmer to share Christ if we're his child. In Acts chapter 1, it's a very, very familiar passage. Luke, having completed his gospel, now says and refers to that book. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. And then after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, and after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this commandment, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father, which he has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I mean, after his teaching the apostles by deed and word, the truth about God, after suffering on the cross and having borne the sins of the whole world in the process, after convincing his disciples that he was not dead but had risen from the grave and was very much alive through many infallible proofs, Christ spoke to his apostles in this passage one more time about his purpose in coming. It was very important to him that they understood that he was a man of purpose. If you go through the Gospels, you will find that on eight different occasions, our Lord used the phrase, I came, and then completes that in, in three or four different ways. And by doing so, he reminds us very powerfully that he was a man under divine appointment from his Father. He was a man and a, the Son of Man, the Son of God, God incarnate, who came to earth on a mission with purpose. And over and over again, he tells us, I came for this reason. In John chapter 17, verse 4, Christ addressing the Father in prayer said, Everything that you gave me to do, I have completed. I mean, at every moment of his life, Christ was aware of the fact that he was a man under appointment, a man on a mission that had been given to him by God. Recently, um, our two boys, Nate and Taylor, were, were arguing, which is not that uncommon at their ages of six and nine. 
and Nate called Taylor, Nate 9 and Taylor 6 a name. And we had to sit down and say, Nate, now look, you know, you don't, you don't call names, you don't call your brother names. And, and in, as we worked through that, I kind of went through a list of things that are names that Nate shouldn't call Taylor, and Taylor shouldn't call names. And, and as I got to thinking about that, I said, you know, there's, there's several names that none of us would like, no matter how no matter how debased we are, no matter how low a person we are, even, even as a non-believer, there are just some names that no one wants to have applied to them in any authentic way. And I, and I thought through that, and I said, for instance, the term hypocrite. I mean, nobody wants to be called a hypocrite. And even if you're an unbeliever, you don't want to be called a hypocrite. That's just a, it's one of those names that no one wants attached to their life. Another one is arrogant. Nobody wants to be called arrogant. Even people who are arrogant don't want to be called arrogant. It's just one of those names that in, just inherently is unattractive. And so is the word puny. Have you ever noticed, found anyone that liked to be called puny? It's just one of those things. Slimy is another one. I mean, nobody wants to be called slimy. Even if you're slimy, you don't want to be called slimy. It's just one of those names. And then I thought, you know, there's another one like that that is a term that unfortunately, honestly, could be applied to many Christians, but it's one of those terms that inherently has a very ugly feel to it. And it's the word apathy, apathetic. No one wants to be called apathetic. It's a very picturesque term. It, it comes from the idea of having concern and having purpose and having passion, having a cause, except it's the negation of all of that. And to call somebody apathetic and to be filled with apathy is to say you're a person who has no concern in life. You're a person with no passion. You're a, pers a person with no cause, no mission. And this is such an, an ugly thing. In fact, our Lord found it so distasteful that, that he said himself that lukewarmness was repulsive. To be a person with no passion, to be a person whose life isn't filled with mission and cause and purpose is just a, a thing that none of us find attractive. Even unbelievers don't find that attractive. And I thought, well, can you think of anybody that would be more unattractive than these people? More unattractive than a slimy person, puny person, a person that is a hypocrite, arrogant, or even more importantly, a person who's apathetic. And I can think of one. I can think of someone to me, and I think to our Lord, is more unattractive than a person who's apathetic. And that is a, a person who has a cause, but their cause that drives them the cause that they are building on and the cause that directs them is love for self. That's, that is the lowest and the emptiest and the most unvaluable person that you can imagine. Is a person who's driven by energy, and maybe this is a person who a lot of people would des describe as driven and energetic and full of, of direction and full of purpose, but how many times have we seen someone like that and they were really no other than just someone whose whole life centered on themselves? Everything's me. Everything's about me. And in a conversation, every subject that's brought up somehow gets interpreted in context to me, how it affects me. You can't even talk to these people without them just littering the conversation with personal pronouns. I mean, the only thing I can think of that's worse than no cause is a person whose cause drives them, but their cause is nothing bigger than me. I mean, that's just the, the ugliest thing you can possibly think of. And it is so opposite of Christ's life. 
5, chapter 10, verse 45, Christ said, I came not to be served. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being there, hearing those words from the Lord of the universe, from God incarnate, stating very clearly and very powerfully that His cause was not centered on Himself, but outside of Himself? He said in Mark 10:45, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom to many. Christ had a cause, He had a mission, but His mission was not Himself, but to let His life be spent in God's timing, according to God's purposes, to minister to others. Go back to, to again to Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, as, the, as Christ is, as Luke rather, is recording this incident for us, he continues in verse 6, and when they met together, continuing the last days of our Lord before his ascension, and when they met together, our Lord with the apostles, the apostles asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I mean, look what's happened. I mean, even at this point, having witnessed all that they had witnessed, having lived and had the, the marvelous privileges that they had had with Christ, they were still confused about what was the real purpose of his life and his death and his resurrection. I mean, what a tragedy. It's one thing to see a wasted, empty, powerless, ineffective life when it's someone who hasn't had the exposure to such tremendous spiritual privilege. But it's a Received from him teaching of eternal consequence. Had the time to walk with him and listen to him and observe him and ask him questions. I mean, un- just un- unbelievable privilege they had. And they're still confused, not only about his purpose, but about their I hope that can't be true of you. I pray that that won't be true of any of us having spent the time that we have spent together in classes and in chapel and in opening the the Word of God, not as a textbook to be studied, but as God's very message to us to transform our lives. And we've had time to be in the presence of people of God, men and women and fellow students who pray for us and challenge us and hold us accountable and listen day in and day out as God's Word is, is unpacked in our presence in church and in chapel and in class and seeing Christ's likeness modeled before us by those around us, that we would take all of that stuff and package it up and leave it on our dorm room floor and have it there waiting on us until we get back from break and rather than taking that with us and displaying it as a precious gem to our family and our friends and, and taking the opportunity to share with them what it is that God's been doing in your life since you've been here. The good, the bad, and the ugly of it that you have struggled through. I mean, don't be guilty of what the apostles were guilty of. To still go away and be confused about what it was that God was trying to do in your life when He brought you here. And He did bring you here. As we come to the end of the semester, I think it's just appropriate for all of us to pause and I go see my friends. I don't want to, on the one hand, I don't want to go home and I just want to veg and 
crawl into like a cocoon and let mom just serve me day in and day out and, and just do nothing and just simply be a, a, a remote control king or queen and, and just have, expend as little energy as possible. You don't want to do that. On the other hand, you don't want to go back into your neighborhood with your friends from your former days, your family members, and just go jump in to the stream of activity that it doesn't speak of godliness like you maybe were a part of at some degree before you came to college. You don't want to do that either. Somewhere in between those two things, we want to go home with the understanding that we're going as ambassadors of the king of the universe, Jesus Christ. And that we're going with a purpose and with a cause and with a mission. Don't peel off your faith like some jumpsuit that you just kind of roll off your shoulders and leave piled in the floor and wait and let it wait there for you to get back. Take it with you. Start right now, getting ready for your break with the expectation that maybe, maybe God will give you a chance to share what it is that He's doing in your life during the semester that you were here. I know a lot of you are, are familiar with the CompuServe, American Online, and all that. I am definitely a novice at all of that. Um, but it is fun, and I have both of those services in my computer at the house. And just recently, this last week, I was doing a search on American Online. And if you've ever done that, you know, you just type in a little terms that hope, hopefully uh, will help you find what it is you're looking for. And I was looking for a, some information on a particular biblical topic. And so I typed into my American Online search file, this little block that they give you to put those terms in. I just typed in the word capital G-O-D. And I thought, well, I'm just going to, I'll find it, what I'm looking for most quickly if I just type in God. And if you've ever done that, when you type in something, it'll either, in my computer, a little hourglass comes up that tells me the computer's working, looking for what it is that I've asked it to do. And that hourglass came up, and there was a pause, and there was a pause, and and I'm thinking, man, this is going to drop in a lot of information because a lot of times when there's a large pause, that's what's happening. That's not what happened. A little, little window popped out right there in the middle of my screen, and it said this, God is not recognized. And I thought, well, that's, that's interesting. I did it again. So I put in there G-O-D, and the same thing, a little shorter time this time, a little window popped up, God is not recognized. So I typed in another word. This time I typed in theology. Same thing happened. Theology is not recognized. So I typed in Jesus Christ. Same thing happened. Jesus Christ is not recognized. And so finally I said, well, get, there's got to be something that will get me to where I'm trying to go. So I just typed in the word religion. And I mean, I got all kinds of information on religion. And I thought, what a, what a commentary on what it is that you and I face when we go home to our family and to our friends. Because that's exactly what I face when I go home. My parents are not believers. My family members are not believers. I do not have a friend, maybe on, maybe on one hand I could count the people I went to high school with in my graduating class of over 400 that are Christians that I know of. So when I go back to my neighborhood, I go back to a town and to a life and to surroundings where it is very, very much the case that God is not recognized. Theology is not recognized. Jesus Christ is not recognized. And I know that's true of you too, to some degree or another. And I just want you to go back with the understanding that you're going as an ambassador of Christ. That if He needs to be recognized, that's who you are. The person to tell them about Christ. Let's pray together.
Father, help us to to do just that. Lord, the idea this morning is not for us to to lay heavy senses of guilt and and burden upon our shoulders, but God, to just remind us from your word of the, the fact that you called us to your mission. The mission that you had before you was to seek and save that which was lost. And in this passage in Acts chapter 1, you instruct your apostles to be witnesses of you. You took your mission and you handed it to us. The mission that we live by and the cause that we must follow and the purpose that must define us is your cause, your purpose, and your mission. God, help us to be strong and courageous and wise and gentle and kind and patient and all the things that would speak of your character, but yet, Lord, to complete that by putting ourselves in a position that we're available to be used by you to share what it is that you mean to us and who you are and how you have changed us at the deepest level. God isn't recognized. And God, we just pray that you would help us to bring about that recognition. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I don't remember how long ago it was that I was at a an activity several months ago, an activity at a, a school where, my, where our two boys attend elementary school. And in the program of that uh, day, there were two people that came up to give a speech that they had put together for the ACSI uh, competition. One of them was a little boy, his name is Dennis, and Dennis gave his speech about how through the goodness and kindness of the Lord and through the faithfulness of a young gal in his elementary school, he had heard about Jesus Christ and came to know him as Lord and Savior. And Dennis tells in his little speech about his family being committed Buddhists and how that, that has really been a, a challenge for him to go back into his home to face mom and dad as a very young child, an elementary child, to share with them about who Christ is and, and all, the, all the things that that has meant to that family. And how that he is now burdened to see his mother come to know the Lord and how he's been faithful to share the gospel with her and share the gospel with his dad. And, and in that activity that I was a part of watching, the mom was actually there, and I got to meet her. And she heard the speech that Dennis gave that was about him coming to know Christ and wanting her to come and know Christ, and she's sitting there hearing it. And I was just so deeply affected by that. But before Dennis gave his speech, Jennifer Chen gave hers as she shared with the group in her talk about how she had prayed that God would lead her to just such an unsaved person so that she could share the gospel with him. And that's what we're going to do right now is I want to have Jennifer Chin come back up and she's going to share with you the speech that she gave in this uh, competition that's really a testimony of her love for Christ and her love to share the gospel. Jennifer. Let's welcome her back to the platform.
standing firm for my Jesus. What does standing firm mean? How old must I be before I can stand firm for my Jesus? Does age even have anything to do with standing firm? Or is it a desire of my heart and a determination in my life to stand firm? I have recently become convinced that ever since I rededicated my life to the Lord, He has helped me in my spiritual growth and has used various ways to strengthen me as a Christian. I would like to share with you how the Lord, through different people, gave me the desire to stand firm right here and now. Last summer, I received a newsletter from my home church in New York. There was an article written by my best friend's sister, Emily Sue, who wanted to hold a Christian club in a public high school just for a time of prayer and praises with some Christian friends. However, when she approached the school for the permission to do so, she was persecuted by the school board and even went to court to be questioned about her motive. But she stood firm all the way and never gave up. After I read the article, I started to wonder if I was strong enough, as a Christian, to stand firm while being questioned in court by the adults. This made me examine my own faith and walk with the Lord. As soon as school started in September, I had a deep desire to live out my Christian faith and to let my light shine through my actions. I began to show those who didn't have any friends that I was there for them any time. Even though I did have friends at that time, I remembered vividly how lonely I was when I was in fifth grade, and I didn't want others to feel the same way. My goal was to be a friend to those who didn't have any friends, and possibly strengthen their walk with the Lord. But after a while, I felt as if something were missing, and I couldn't begin my true Christian walk without it. For many days, I prayed about this emptiness inside me, and the Lord showed me the way. I knew that I had God's word in my head, and I did want to please him, but his word had not yet become an attitude of my heart. I asked my mom for her advice, and she suggested that I memorize the book of James, because it teaches that faith without works is dead as it is written in James 2.26. As soon as I started memorizing the book, I tried to apply it by examining and correcting my own attitude and behavior. I wanted to stand firm as Emily did, but I thought since I was in a Christian school, I wouldn't have the chance to stand firm for the Lord as she did. I was wrong. As several weeks passed by, I noticed that I was already facing many situations where I had to stand firm. I found myself in situations where someone would come up to me and start talking about others in a negative way. Depending on our relationship and their personalities, I would either just try to change the subject or share with them why we shouldn't continue on this topic. Some would agree with me and some would just walk away. Then I knew that I didn't have to be in a public school to make a dramatic stand. 
but that I need to stand firm in every situation and in every choice I make. As a result of my relationship with the Lord and my commitment to follow and honor Him, I can no longer do what I used to do with my friends before without being convicted by the Holy Spirit through the scripture which I had memorized. My parents have helped me by giving me guidelines on my 11th birthday. They were guidelines for decision making. Every single time I need to make a difficult decision, I pull out my guidelines and use it. Here are some guidelines that I often use. Will this activity do harm to my body or mind? Will this activity place me in a situation where I might be tempted in the area of my weakness? Is this the activity that I would take pipe to? Sometimes ask myself even more challenging questions like, will it be spiritually profitable? Will it build me up? Is it really what the Lord wants me to do or not to do? Will it help others by my example? Will it glorify God? I had made decisions not to accept invitations from my friends. Not because I didn't like them or I didn't like the fun because I didn't want to place myself in a situation where I might be tempted in the area of my weakness. I know that I have failed many times, but I also know that God has given me victory. Whenever I fail, I think about Daniel and his friends and how they stood firm before the king. If I cannot stand firm in a minor situation now, how can I resist the bigger Just in case you're wondering, she's discipling too many people now, so you'll have to wait. Thank you very much. What a, what a challenge to all of us to be willing to, to do that. And she found that young boy, as I said, that didn't have friends, made friends with him. He didn't know the Lord. She was faithful in her friendship and sharing the gospel and the kingdom of God. And it was really a, a very very powerful thing to see her finish her speech and then to have him come right back up 
Also to pray now, like Jennifer did, that you will be faithful to stand firm and to represent Jesus Christ faithfully. Don't strip yourself of your testimony by dirtying your life up in some way. And we're going to pray that that will happen. So pray now. The second practical thing is we we put together a uh, we gathered together a, a gospel track that that is really a very very very, very helpful if you want to share with someone about Jesus Christ. It's an easy thing to give them one of these and for you to take the other one or take your Bible and to just read through it. I mean, if you've never done it ever before, if you've always wanted to give the gospel to your dad or to your mom or to a brother or to a sister and just thought you'd fumble through it, grab one of these. Grab two or three of them as you go out the doors and use these as an instrument to share your faith in your home. Okay? So we've got these available for you. I think, Martha, are they all, both doors here? So as you walk out, take as many as you think you will use and uh, give them to your family members, to your friends. And do it the very first day. But make yourself accountable to living the life all the entire time you're there. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for who you are, and Lord, we just thank you for the marvelous privilege we have to not only know you, but to take that relationship, that truth that we have shared in, and to share it with others around us. God, you took, again, your purpose, and you gave it to us. Lord, we just pray that we will be faithful to that calling. All of us will be, as the semester comes to a close and we go home to see our friends and family. Thank you for Jennifer and her willingness to be here today and her family. Just thank you for the encouragement that she has been to us in so many ways. And I just pray that you'll continue to bless her life and the life of her family, that they will continue to be the salt and light that they are. And we all pray together in your name. Amen. You're dismissed.